Well, hello, and welcome to this episode of the A Mother Brand podcast. I have a question for you. Would you like to have a successful business that makes measurable positive impact in the world and also be able to do pick up and drop off of your child every day? If you answered yes, then you're going to love today's interview with my guest, Sasha Celestial One. Sasha is the co-founder and COO of Olio, the app that's tackling food waste globally. Olio has over 5 million users and it recently raised $43 million in Series B funding. What's interesting about this is that it's also run around Sasha's life and the life of her co-founder, Tessa. They make it run around their family and their well-being, their non-negotiables. I connected with Sasha right at the beginning of my business journey and was immediately blown away by her no-nonsense approach to balancing parenting and business. She's an inspiration and a genuine role model to me, and I'm so excited to share this interview with you. We talk about starting up, investment, balance, being the change you want to see in the world, and how to wear motherhood like a badge of honour. I hope that you enjoy my interview with Sasha Celestial One. is the A Mother Brand podcast, and I'm your host, Noni White. I'm a former TV producer-director turned mother and entrepreneur, passionate about showing more mothers that you don't have to settle, that there is a way to be the mother that you want to be and do work that you truly love that works for you. On this show, I'll share simple strategies for building a life you love, based on business development and personal development through the lens of the science of well-being, positive psychology. I'll also be sharing interviews with inspiring female founders and my own insights and experiences from the front line of juggling motherhood and business. Now let's get going with today's episode. Sasha, thank you so much for coming on the A Mother Brand podcast and talking to me today. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. So you are co-founder and COO of Olio. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about Olio, please? Ah, oh, sure. So uh, my co-founder, Tessa, and I, who I met about 20 years ago in school, actually, not that kind of school, business school. So that goes to show my age. We came together in 2015. At that time, we were both new mother- mothers. And we, we have pe- both of us had very traditional corporate careers. But the idea of sort of My career at the time, was I was at American Express. I was managing multiple Northern European markets. I was traveling a lot. I could not figure out how I would continue to do that as a new mother. Um, And I also just really wanted to do something that I was a lot more passionate about. Um, So we started actively looking for um, an environmental problem that we could solve, uh, leveraging digital technology. And um, when we learned about the scale of food waste, we were horrified, if I'm honest. And also it coincided with Tessa having a personal experience on moving day with food that she wasn't going to be able to pack or eat. Um, and she tried to sort of give it away to strangers in the street because the removal men weren't going to let her pack that food. Cut a long story short, you know, it didn't work. She didn't find anyone. She smuggled the food into the packing boxes anyway. So that experience combined with um, us actively looking for a big problem to solve led to Olio. And we basically set out to connect neighbors directly with each other so that any food that's perfectly good and should be eaten perfectly edible could easily be given to someone nearby. So 
if you have the app, it's really easy to to share um, food or non-food, if I'm honest. Um, you just take a picture, add a brief description, click, you know, add a few details and click submit and it alerts people nearby based on how they have their preferences that that stuff's available and you private message and they pop around and they pick it up. So fast forward six years later, we've got 5 million oleoers all around the world sharing about 2 million portions of food or household items each month. And, you know, we're not a charity. We are a for-profit company. Very excitingly, we closed our Series B this summer or at the end of the summer, which is just a dream come true. It gives us a massive amount of capital to go out and bring more people into the Oleo network and make sure that there's more sharing, less wasting done. So that's um, from origin, I guess, idea to where we are now, Oleo in a snapshot. Amazing. And you both still work around your children. Is that right? Uh, yes, yes, we, we both do. Um, so Oleo has always been remote first. And a huge reason for that was that Tessa and I want to do sort of partake in school pickup and drop off, if I'm honest, um, which is so simple, but such a lovely part of the, of the day and such a... Um, you know, a great way to have a chat on the way to school with your kids and make sure that you're connected with other parents. So I would say that, you know, 90% of school pick up and drop off, we still do every day. And that flexibility that we require um, is something that we've made sure that everyone on the team, whether they have kids or not, can benefit from. So we're definitely an integrated culture um, in terms of work and life, you know, that working doesn't stop at five or six o'clock or whenever it, it might in a normal, more normal job, but people take time out to either look after their kids or their dogs or their own personal, physical, and mental well-being um, as and when they see fit. That's just the dream. <laughs> That's why so many of us are setting up our own businesses in order to make that happen. Um, Absolutely. What I, what I love is I emailed you recently and your out-of-office just said, it's an inset day. We've gone to the Science Museum. <laughs> and I thought that was so awesome. It doesn't matter who emailed you. Yeah. You, know, you had no qualms about saying I'm with my child. We're at the Science Museum. I probably responded to you, though. <laughs> I think you did. I just yeah. love I love the idea that yeah. you would put that out there because there's yeah. always that um, that feeling that when you're working, you have to work like you're not a mom. And when you're a mother, you need to mother like you don't have work. And, and yeah. you know, a lot of a mother brand is all about how we are whole beings and we have all these different needs and things that are important to us. And so it's, I think uh, it's really important to role model as well. Um, and also, if you remember the days before you were a mother, like you just don't really have any, you're like, oh, wow, that's like, I, you know, what are they doing? Why aren't they available? Why did they leave the office early? And um, you might not even know what an inset day is. So I do think it's important to role model that A, it's okay to bring your whole person to work. And also when you set your out of office. So I always say, it's a class camping trip, or we've gone to Chessington, or like, I'm always really explicit about what we're doing. Uh, but I also think it sort of just demystifies the whole parenting thing for people who don't yet have children or maybe have chosen not to. Thank you. In terms of what you and Tessa have created, it's enormous in terms of impact and scale and investment, money, all, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Can, we, can we go through some of the practicalities for people who might be envisaging doing something similar? Mm-hmm. So starting up an app. For some people that the dream, some people want to start with that straight away. Other people are scared because of the technological and the financial implications. How was that for you? I mean, starting an app and keeping it running is a very big commitment and financially, but also sort of resource commitment because, and I would not recommend that anyone sort of jump straight to an app in this day and age, unless they've got a significant amount of funding and have really sort of 
believe that they've got product market fit or they've got significant momentum. There's so many other sort of, you know, basically mobile web apps doing working in, I'm not a techie person, but you can build mobile responsive, basically um, websites, which sort of mimic the look and feel of an app for a fraction of the price. I, I, I would not recommend that anyone, unless they've got sort of a lot of, uh, they've got quite a lot of money and also the development or engineering time to support an app, jump straight to an app. You could do, for example, a mobily responsive website, which would mimic the look and feel of an app and be much more sort of in line with the principles of the lean startup, rapid iteration, which is a, a methodology that we really subscribe to at Olio. So do something small, like super small, um, not perfect, completely imperfect, and put it out there and get feedback and then rapidly iterate and optimize based on the feedback that you get. And in that way, you won't waste a lot of time building something that no one wants. And I think as a just sort of a mindset, it will be, it's, it's, you should try and integrate that type of rapid iteration, MVP, minimum viable product approach to, to everything you do, technology and otherwise as an entrepreneur. And in terms of your app, I think I remember hearing that you partnered with the app developers in order to get it off the ground initially. Is that what happened? We found an agency in Bristol called SimpleWeb who invests in startups and in ex- they receive equity in exchange for the technical build and commitment, the technical build time that they put into building the product. So um, I think what happened was they received a small equity percentage. They were our first investors. And in exchange, they built the MVP version of the app that we launched in the App Store with. And we paid them half in cash, um, actual from our savings. And the other half was in equity. Um, and they've been fantastic. It was one of the nicest things that's ever happened was you know, they've been with us the whole time. And at Series B, they were able to sort of cash out some of their investment for a very sort of high return on that initial investment. And they believed in us when no one else did. But there are definitely agencies out there who will build for you in exchange for equity in your company. Um, neither Tess or I are a technical co-founder. Of course, another way to do it is to make sure you find a technical co-founder who can do the build themselves. But those are both ways to sort of try and get around um, what can be quite a big commitment building an app. So when you got started with your app, how had you decided that it was going to fly this idea that it was worth going for? You got your personal savings and you went for it. Um, so we were convinced from like day one, but you know, we're both ex-consultants and went to business school. So we thought we should just press pause and like do some market research like we were taught to do um, just so that we at least have the data to wash the concerns of any naysayers. So the first thing we did is a, a survey monkey just survey which we put in local Facebook groups in North London where I live asking people how they felt about food waste how frequently it happened in their home you know how what types of things they might be interested in giving away or collecting and we learned we, we I think we had 400 people fill that out in a quite short period of time just through promoting it in local Facebook groups and asking local um, Twitter handles to, to share it etc and what we learned is that I think it's 35% of everyone who filled it out said, said they feel they feel physically pained when they have to throw away food that is or was recently edible. And 93% of people were willing to walk sort of 10 or 15 minutes to pick up uh, homegrown food or fresh product, uh, fruit and veg from a neighbor. So we had lots of encouraging signs. And of course, other things that we thought might be really interesting. Um, other, you know, we also realized that wasn't very attractive to people. But from that survey, we also asked people on a scale of sort of zero to 10, how 
excited they were about a food sharing app. And then from those that sort of selected nine or 10, we chose 12 people and asked them to participate in a proof of concept. Our proof of concept was incredibly simple. Um, we just, all of these people lived within one square mile and we put them in a WhatsApp group along with one local business. And we said, if you've got any food that you're not going to eat and you want to share it, just take a picture, put it in the group. And um, it was not very long after we set up that group that someone shared a bag of shallots and two people said, I'll take those. And that was basically the beginning. And over the course of the two-week proof of concept, we had 26 shares. But most importantly, when we debriefed with everyone, first they said, this is amazing. That was so much fun. It felt so good to give away or to pick up food. Like it really scratches a very human itch to share food with someone else and make sure that nothing good goes to waste. But they also said it just doesn't need to be any different. Like it's literally just needs to be a WhatsApp group. So we had all these ideas in mind with user ratings and maps and you know, stuff you'd expect to see in a sort of Silicon Valley backed, you know, tech startup. Um, and we real, and of course, we could never afford to build all that. But everyone, it really helped us to just strip out all these unnecessary or nice to have features. And which really meant that we could get to market a lot faster. So from incorporating the company to launching in the app store, it was five months to the dot to the day. That's so amazing. that's what we did. In terms of investment, so now you've got 30-something million pounds in, invested in the company. Now, um, female entrepreneurs generally, are, are not, I think it's like they get less than a, a penny of every pound invested in businesses. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, about 1% think, for female-founded teams. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, that there are a multitude of reasons why that happens. But the one that I personally hear the most is this kind of um, risk-averse nature you know, we would rather stay small for longer than, mm. than take money from someone else. And I think as a mother, I personally would, would worry about the impact of being answerable to lots of other people for how I'm spending my time and my metrics and all of that sort of stuff. And as well as the positive of getting guidance and feedback, there is that desire to want to be a whole person and want to do pickup and, and stuff like that. So how has that been for you? Um, well, I mean, investors aren't bosses investors aren't teachers they don't give you a grade I mean what's the worst that can happen like they don't reinvest like literally there's nothing they can do to you and I think a lot of overachievers sort of struggle with the idea that like they might have you know that like investors it's really we have to remind ourselves all the time like our investors like they don't run the business we run the business um, they can't force you to do anything you don't want to do if you if you believe that you can which there's no reason you couldn't you know, have a balanced approach to parenting and, and also still be like an incredibly passionate and inspired entrepreneur who gets, gets shit done, then like that's really just as a grown up, that's on you to make that happen. That's what I would say. And I would also say that I thought you're where you were going to go with that question is to ask, like, how do, how did we go about raising so much money given how little capital goes to female founded teams? And until very recently, all of our lead investors were female. And I, that, I, think, I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, I think, you know, two thirds or actually, well, three fourths of the users on Olio are female. They're still responsible for the kitchen and the household in many, you know, quite a traditional way. Um, and the, our, the problem that we're solving simply didn't resonate with a lot of wealthy white, I don't wanna say white, but it's true, wealthy white men who were maybe more particular, you know, could relate more to a FinTech product or something like that. So. We've, we found that speaking to women speak, um, really 
they understood in general the problem we are solving a lot faster and that's really helped unlock um, their excitement and interest in, in what we're doing. But I mean, that's I think a fundamental choice. Food waste, a third of all food um, produced globally goes to waste. Um, that waste itself accounts for about 10% of global carbon emissions. Nearly a billion people go to bed hungry. We have two and a half billion people joining the planet by 2050. Like this does not, the math doesn't add up. Like in our lifetime, this is going to break completely and it's like just around the corner. Um, we don't have enough food to feed everyone. But, you know, it's just, it's mental. So uh, it's not a problem that I can, I, I, I feel like, like I'm all in, right? Like I am all in and I know I can be, I look after myself, which I guess we'll probably come to a little bit later. I look after my child, but I'm also so excited um, by the opportunity to make a difference to what is a completely sort of scandalous and unnecessary problem facing humanity that it wouldn't matter whether I had an investor or not, I'm going to work really hard to solve this problem. I think that that raises lots of points that if we circle back to what you said about um, female investors, did you purposely approach female investors for investment? Did you think this is going to be where, you know, I'm, I'm, we're most likely to get investment? Yes and no. Um, you know, I think one of the things that Tessa, who leads on fundraising, often says is that, what does she call it? ABF, always always be fundraising. Like it's a full-time job. You don't just, you're not just sort of networking and building relationships with investors when you need to raise capital. You're doing it all day, all week, all year, regardless. And I think just naturally you end up having building, it's, it's a relationship game. You build relationships with people who follow you over multiple years um, and then decide to invest when, the timing's right, and maybe that their timing's not right at some particular point because they're raising a fund, or if it's a, you know, they're on maternity or paternity leave or whatever. But when the timing's right for both of you, then you've already got that relationship, that trust, they followed your journey. And so I think the answer to that is we've built more relationships with women over time, just, just naturally. And then they have stepped up to the plate to put the investment case forward to their investment committees when the timing's been right. I think that's um, that's so interesting. This idea that it's a it's a continual process of network building. It is. Um, I mean, uh, unless you've got something that is just doesn't need to. We our Olio is not a clear enough yet sort of slam dunk that we don't need to be relationship building continuously. Uh, I'm sure there are some others who've had different experiences, like all of these rapid the $2 billion that's gone into the getters and gorillas and zaps of this world, zaps the client, so I don't want to be dismissive um, <laughs> for Olio. Um, you know, I doubt that, the, that there was a lot of relationship building going into those, but who knows, actually, maybe there was behind the scenes. A lot of those founders are serial founders. But I, I think you raise an interesting point about female founders um, and social impact generally, because statistically, women are more yep. socially and Definitely. environmentally impactful. Mm-hmm. And your business is... is a for-profit business, but it's also making measurable social environmental impact. So that's, uh, I guess that's got to help and hinder you in some ways, depending on which sort of investors you're talking to. Exactly. It depends on your audience. I think it's really important. And we do not have the same presentation or narrative when we're talking to an impact fund, of which we've got several, you know, quite a few impact investors versus a Silicon Valley venture capital company versus a high net worth angel investor. Those are all very different investors with different, in general, um, sort of they're looking for something different from from a conversation. 
So you do need to tailor your message and your messaging, your approach, everything to put the best version of yourself forward or your company forward um, that's most suitable for that particular investor. Um, Same as you would with a, a potential client or a potential even employee or a date if you're single, it's the same thing. <laughs> um, you're a registered social enterprise, is that correct? I believe so. We were for a long time. I don't know if we still are now. We're B Corp pending. The social enterprise as a construct isn't something that we've really sort of, we did it in the beginning. Um, I'm not quite, I have to admit, I'm not quite sure where we are now. Because my, my, um, my understanding of being a registered social enterprise is that you commit to 50% of your profits to going to social impact. Um, we, we, are, we are like incredibly unprofitable. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we're all what we care about is growth and impact, which means any profit we ever, any revenue we ever get is of course reinvested in the business. Like we're light years away from taking any dividend or profits out of, of the business. So by definition, we meet that condition and more. But um, theoretically, I guess at some point in the very distant future, I mean, look, I think Amazon only turned a profit, oh God, like 25 years after it started or something or 20 years. So anyway, does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. But for you and Tessa, you presumably managed to pay yourself. Oh, yeah. A good wage. Yeah, I mean, we've got, I mean, we've got 50 people um, on the team now. Um, we'll be at close to 120 within the sort of next six to nine months. We all get paid salaries. <laughs> um, and we paid ourselves from the beginning. And, and we were really, like, you don't have to, especially if you're seeking external investment, the last thing an investor wants is for you to not be focusing on your business. And if you don't have enough money to live comfortably, right, not extravagantly, but comfortably, you're going to have to get, it would be very difficult to give your business your all. So it's really less of a difficult conversation than you would think to say, you've obviously think that the problem I'm solving is really important. That's why you're investing. For me to give 100% of my time and energy that's available to this and not be sort of doing freelancing on the side or whatever else it is you're doing to supplement your income, this is the salary I need. And by the way, this is how I've sort of approached it. Like I've got a mortgage, I've got this, I've got that. These are some of the things that I've scaled back, right? I mean, when I first, this is Olio's my second business. I started my first business in 2013. And at that point in time, I made some sacrifices because actually I wasn't getting, I didn't get a salary for my first business. And I did get free childcare though, because it was a childcare business, which was worth a lot of, um, which was priceless. But I, you know, I haven't bought new clothes since 2013, with the exception of um, undergarments and sports clothing. Like I've only shopped at charity shops or secondhand stores um, in, you know, eight years. And like, I don't miss it at all. I actually can't stand shopping, especially now that I haven't done it for a long time. But, you know, I think it's unrealistic to think like if you've not monetized and you're taking a big salary, like, and you still have an extravagant lifestyle style that like an investor would be okay with that. But, you know not asking for a salary at all because for fear, for fear of, um, which I do see a lot of, I've actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I've seen quite a few female founders who take a really, really below market salary. And I don't think that's what investors want, if I'm honest. Well, yeah, I think in small business in particular, there's a lot of people who aren't taking any money out of their business. Um, yeah. You know, not paying themselves a salary, especially in the early years. Who are most of your members? Like what types of businesses did they have? Varied, um, service and product based. 
a marketplace, you know, yeah, varied. Varies, okay. And cool. what advice would you give for female founders about getting help with finance, with about getting in investment? There are, there's a really, really amazing ecosystem, um, support system here in the UK of different accelerators, different, um, you know, even the London mayor's office has, you know, half a dozen programs to support businesses of all different sizes, shapes and sizes, or shape sizes, creeds, whatever. Um, there's just so much the government combined with sort of private support from Barclays and different different companies set up all different forms of um, entrepreneur support systems. And so my advice would be to do the research. It's been a while since we set up Olio, so I'm a little out of the loop around about what the best ones are. Um, but there's a, a dozen different networks that you can tap in, get a peer group, like make sure that you've got, that you feel part of a founder community and share freely um, and generously. And then they, and, and they will share freely and generously back with you tips and tricks and, you know, who to contact, who's looking for particular types of comp- portfolio companies to invest in. But yeah, I would tap into the, to the ecosystem and get a peer network. Excellent. Thank you. So uh, in a mother round, we talk a lot about the importance of having an appropriate network for your well-being as well as for your business Mm. um, and how connecting with like-minded people is incredibly supportive in all ways, but also for your mindset. So I wondered, Sasha, if I can talk to you a little bit about mindset. What do you do when you have mindset wobbles? Do you have mindset wobbles where you have self-doubt and negative chatter, those sorts of things? Absolutely. I was just talking to my co-founder right before this call about how I was sort of feeling like I was spread so thin. I'm not necessarily being a great life partner. I'm not being a great mother. And I'm not, and I'm like just a complete bottleneck at work. Despite the fact that I'm working all the time, I just feel really sort of spread too thin. So we, I guess what I, my answer to that is when I'm having a crisis in confidence or mindset, I, I really do turn to Tessa. She's the person who, you know, she's my work wife and she understands exactly what I'm going through. And she's usually going through the same thing. And having that kind of trusted relationship with a business partner and, and a close friend, I is just, I feel, I feel really, really lucky to have that. So I, I turned to her. Um, I also listen to a lot of, um, I exercise. I listen to a lot of well-being podcasts. I have an affirmations app on my phone that pops up wonderful things 10 times a day, reminding me that like, I'm okay. You know, I've got this. I'm, you know, <laughs> I think there's not like any single thing that you can do. Um, and also actually, one of the things I find the most helpful is putting everything in perspective. And often I'll do that. Like if I'm really struggling or feeling overwhelmed and then my mindset issues usually, or, you know, challenges usually come with work where I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how we're going to do this. Like it's the expect, you know, so much is expected of me, but um, I like to, when my son is sleeping, I like to just sort of crawl in bed and like hold him for five minutes. And like, you can't have a mindset wobble when you're like holding a sleeping child. It's like hitting the reset button. Um, and you're just like, oh yeah, like this is, this is why I'm here. And this is the most important thing I'm doing. And it just makes everything else seem a bit temporary um, in significance. Yeah, we were almost late for school this morning because my son called a family cuddle. And I was like, oh. this time, okay, let's give it a try. But it is that kind of um, taking you back to your home base, isn't it? Like, oh, yeah. this, is, this is what it's about. Yes, it is. Super centering. 
and I guess your purpose as well you know you you're incredibly passionate about helping save the planet yes actually that's a very good point there's something else that Tess and I both do which is we have a section in the app called the forum where there's just loads of interaction between members of the community and there's different filters and one of the filters because you have to categorize any post whether it's a recipe post or a zero waste post and one of the categories is um, oleo love and if I just filter to oleo love and just read people saying oh my god I'm so glad I discovered this app like I've it's changed my life or I've, I've, I've eaten and I, you know, I was previously home, you know, all of these stories, the, the, the richness of the stories is um, really powerful centering. But going back to that purpose, uh, yeah. gives you exactly. a magic boost. Yeah, definitely. When you plan your week, I remember when I talked to you a while ago, you, you're quite sporty, like you managed to fit in exercise in your week. Is that mm. something that you're still able to do, even though, you know, it's massive now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like to do classes, 45 minute classes, pretty much. Well, I do every day at 930 after school drop off. That's my routine. So I sort of like to get up a bit earlier than my son, clear through my inbox, make lunch, that kind of stuff. Then I've got an hour of sort of school drop off and breakfast. And then I take an hour for myself. Yeah, that's very much part of my routine. I'm not disciplined about everything, but that's one of the things that's sort of non-negotiable and has been for me for a very long time. And there's a community of people, like when you go to classes, like I know my teachers, I've been going for a long time. I know a lot of the other, whether it's yoga or Zumba, Zumba, I highly recommend because you're just dancing and it feels like you've been to a nightclub and it doesn't feel like exercise. It's a great workout, much more fun than some like a hit class. Although I went to a hit class today. Energizing. Yeah. How do you, I mean, it's, so you, you're achieving a huge amount with your business. You're doing pickup, you're doing drop off, you're doing exercise. How do you make it all work for you? Do you, do you sleep? Do you get enough sleep? Like how do you sleep? I'm very, I, I, I work in the evenings. I'll probably, most weekends I'll work, I'll probably work a half day. You know, I might, the total number of hours I work is, you know, it's probably closer to 60 or at least than it is 40. And that means that, so what, what goes, like, often I haven't seen the latest thing on Netflix. I might be sitting on the couch while it's on, but I'll be doing bookkeeping or payroll or whatever it is that I need to do. Um, I find that if I, that I sort of keep my admin tasks to like the evening, because I can sort of do them and, and still participate in whatever it is, like family stuff is going on. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll definitely be honest, like this weekend I was at at a retreat for founders um, with my, which I do twice a year with the community of founders that I've met who have become very good friends with and we are each other's support network. And I led a session on burnout because um, a few weeks ago, I sort of hit rock bottom with regard to burnout. Like I just, my brain was foggy. I couldn't focus and I was just spontaneously crying um, and just couldn't just, I was in, I had like the, the, the entrepreneur's equivalent of writer's block where like I just was, not functioning and and actually a good cry and then like talking out with some um with other founders like helped me sort of get over that so to pretend that i've got it all and it's not it's always easy or i don't have to make trade-offs is a way oversimplification and 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 definitely not true but again coming back to like what's my purpose like do i believe in what i'm doing like that really it's incredibly energizing knowing that like you're changing people the lives of helping people and you've got that actual tangible 
you can measure, right? I can see how many meals we're rescuing a month and I can see how many people have benefited and I can see all of that. So I find that hugely motivating. But one of the things that this raised, like we've never had, we're at 50 people now, we've never had HR, um, we've never had an assistant, um, we've never had finance. So we've done it all ourselves. And what this raise has allowed us to do is to hire a lot of people. And, you know, Tessa often was doing customer support at Saturday, eight o'clock at night. Like, you know, that sucks. Like, we don't want to do that anymore. I'm done. It's been six years. So I sort of just need to be patient. Um, And in the next couple of months, we'll be in the sort of through this awkward transition period where we bring on board all of these new people and and without having to do everything ourselves. It sounds great. That's the theory anyway. (laughs) What would your top tips be for female founders building businesses around their families? Top tips for, I mean, there's no reason to have an office. So if you're still thinking an office is necessary, it's not. I think COVID's proved that. Hire or work with people who've got the same priorities as you. You know, if so that, you know, there's a lot of people out there, you know, who really care about doing pick up and drop off too. And, and I think don't be, I think you should wear it with like a badge of honor, right? As opposed to feeling like some, some, somehow you're slacking because you're, you know, helping to be present and raise the future generation, right? Like it's a badge of honor. Like I think be proud of it. Say no to a lot of stuff. Like it's so tempting, especially if you're like me, a bit of a type A overachiever to say, to want to say yes to everything. I mean, I turned down a lot of podcasts, but we've been knowing each other for quite a long time. So I did not say no to this, but there's a good book called, um, oh goodness, I think it's called um, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of No. Yeah. Anyway, I read that a few years ago. I, 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 I made the title all wrong, but you get the idea. And it's just really resonated with me. I just was saying yes to so many things and saying no is really empowering. And if you're just at the beginning of your journey, like have get a co-founder who you love and trust and respect so that they can um, be part of your journey. You can rely on each other. It's not that easy to find a co-founder. I know. At home <laughs> with kids, which is, which is how a mother band came into being. So I know. I remember. <laughs> so I, my, I always think that if you can't find the ideal co-founder, then yeah. having the community of having the community. Yeah. solo founders is, you know, is really, that's, really helpful. That's well. absolutely true. It comes back to what I said earlier, like find your tribe whether you're a solo founder or a co-founder. Yeah. Um, now, I should have done this the other way around. I'm just going to throw it in there. What What have your biggest challenges been so far? I mean, I think by far and away, it's not a very satisfying answer, but well, actually there's two answers to that. For the business, which might be the less interesting, the biggest challenge is getting people to give something away for the first time, um, which, which is ironic because there's so much that's going to waste so, but the reality is that the people who get really excited about Olio because they're passionate about waste have already sort of fixed it in their lives. Like waste isn't really an issue. They might have a cupboard clear out, but then it's not like they're generating sort of food surplus in their home on an ongoing basis. And the people who are, um, have loads of perfectly good food that's just sitting around going to waste, they're not yet on Olio. So that sort of what we're trying to do is like consumer behavior change, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do, building new routines. So I guess the, 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 the hardest problem is getting people to use Oleo for the first time. Once they use it, retention is amazing. Word of mouth is amazing. People are evangelical and really proud of, of, 
of, of, of being an oleoer and they want to wear tote bags and t-shirts and et cetera, and shout about us from the rooftops and um, et cetera. But whether it's 10 pounds or planting a tree or just like a gold star, like we still haven't figured out how to like convince someone the first time to just go and get something and add to the app. So if anyone's listening and hasn't done that yet, please do try sharing your first listing on Oleo because it's actually pretty magical. And, you know, food on average, food goes in 21 minutes. And on average, a non-food item goes in uh, four hours. And 80% of all listings all around the world go. So believe try it out anyway that's the business challenge um, on a personal level which has been much 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 more challenging is that whilst over the over the last five years i separated and then ultimately divorced my husband my ex-husband and the the stress of that process whilst like trying to start a business and run a business and grow a business was just incredibly difficult um, and I'm, I'm glad I'm through the other side of that now, but, you know, when your sort of private life is imploding, but publicly you're like selling the vision and talking to investors and doing podcasts and everything. And like, you really just want to go home and cry like that. that and, and you need to be there for your team. Right. That was really challenging part of my, and still is um, an ongoing challenge. So I think, I think if you've got like a significant source of stress in your personal life, like you might have sick parents or you might have health issues yourself or be going through a divorce or there might be something wrong with your kids. Like it's easy to forget, like most people have something relatively traumatic going on in their lives and if at some point or another and balancing that and not letting it stop you from or, or figuring out how to still bring your, bring your all to your business is really, is really challenging. I think that, um, you know the the era the age that most of us are coming up with these businesses that mean so much to us that we're willing to put our all in is the exact phase of our life when all these things are happening yeah so yeah I, I imagine a lot of people resonate with that I know I someone might well. be struggling to conceive or you know and that stuff is just quite heartbreaking it takes up a big part of your mental processing power right and I think just trying to go easy on yourself not be our own harshest critic is definitely really important what did you find the most helpful thing that just being being more gentle with yourself I mean again I think having I'm going to say having having Tessa having my co-founder and my close friend I mean knowing the intricacies of everything that was going on that I was finding painful behind the scenes and being able to provide cover for me to help just be my support system and to not and to, and to have her know fully, you know, when maybe I needed to turn my video off because I was about to start crying or something like um, I just I think my, my biggest asset really has been having having her as a friend and co-founder. Um, otherwise, journaling is really helpful. It's pretty hard to leave a yoga class pissed off like you do a lot of yoga. Right. By the time you're done, it doesn't matter how pissed off you are in the beginning. You'll just be a lot more, you know, um, then. So forcing yourself to go show up to a yoga class is always a good idea. This is a side point that um, I wonder, how, I, I know a lot of female entrepreneurs who are divorced or getting yeah. divorced or separated. And I wonder how hard it is to be, not hard, but you know, if there's something in that, being a woman and trying to juggle everything, being super passionate about your work, as well as being super passionate about having the gazillion things that we also have to do. I wonder if that, you know, there's a theme that that kind of causes challenges in relationships. 
that wasn't the instance in our case. It was something altogether different that I can only share over a cocktail or a coffee, not a, not a Zoom call. Um, but uh, I mean, I think the sad reality is that a lot of people are going to get divorced and they're going to, you know, I don't know what it is, but 40% or something. And I think that stress is going to, could, could accelerate. If something's a bit broken, you can let it stay a bit broken for a long time, but put that, that under tension or stress and it's going to break faster. And it, running a business is incredibly stressful a lot of the times. So I could theoretically be that that sort of accelerates, you know, might be an accelerator um, to the inevitable <laughs> demise of your marriage. But I would like to point out that I am on my way after this to go pick up my new wedding band with my new partner of, uh, of over four years and an absolute dreamy catch um, who I, um, if I hadn't been through the sort of my previous marriage, I wouldn't have known what I was looking for and I wouldn't have found him. So anyone who is feeling a bit isolated or single or, or concerned, like it is your life does not end if you get divorced. In fact, it might just begin. So does that mean, so if you're picking up a wedding band, you're getting married to him soon? It's a long story, basically, and I'll do it very quickly. Uh, we got engaged over a year ago and we were supposed to get married in August and then obviously COVID and then we postponed it to next August. And now most of my family in America doesn't want to get vaccinated because that's the tribe that they fall into. So, and I just, we just realized that trying to organize a wedding is just turned into a massive pain. So we are going to get married, but we decided, we, but we were also really excited to call each other husband and wife and we have a cat and we own a house together. So we decided just to, and we're like, I'm almost, I'm 45, you know? So we just decided to um, start calling each other husband and wife and go get our rings. Nice. So that's what we've done. I don't know when we're going to get married, Mary. We're figuring that out later. It's too stressful right now. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. I'll let you go. To draw this to a close, what do people need to know about Olio? And I said it wrong at the beginning. I'm sorry. What do people need to know about Olio? What would you like people to know? Um, I'd like people to know that Olio is a community of millions of people who care about their community and care about the planet. And Olio makes it incredibly simple and easy to do the tiniest little actions that ultimately, collectively, if we all just do them, will lead to quite big impact. And that we are empowered as individuals to make micro changes throughout our day, make micro decisions to live like a more, a more planet-friendly lifestyle. And that it is enough. You don't have to do everything perfect. It is enough to just do something imperfectly and that's better than doing nothing at all um and we try and make it super super easy for people to take those those actions so give it a go i guess it is super easy i've done it it is super easy and where should people go to find out more i mean just go to the app store and search for olio or google play yeah it should be pretty obvious o-l-i-o Excellent. Sasha, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been lovely to have a chat. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. Bye. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please do hit follow, leave a rating, leave a nice comment and share with anyone who you think might enjoy it or find it useful. See you next time.